Good evening, everyone. I'm Leon from SciTech, and tonight I'll be your audio guide to the galaxy. This week, we're taking a look at our closest cosmic neighbour, the Moon. We're also celebrating the birthday of a very special individual, Sir Isaac Newton, the discoverer of the secrets of gravity and the co-inventor of calculus. You can listen to this episode after the sun has set on any clear night this week. Make sure you've got this episode downloaded, and once we get started, try to keep your phone screen off so your eyes can adjust to the dark. Before you head outside, make sure you grab some insect repellent, a torch, and a jumper if it's cold. Ready? Let's go! This week, we're taking a look at our nearest neighbour, the Moon. We're celebrating the birthday of a very special individual, Sir Isaac Newton, the discoverer of the secrets of gravity and the co-inventor of calculus. Newton figured out an awful lot about gravity just by observing the moon and understanding how it moves. So tonight, that's what we're going to do as well. Something that isn't always obvious until someone points it out to you is that the bright part of the moon always points in the direction of the sun. It sounds obvious, but check for yourself. You see, tonight, the moon is not fully lit up. It's not a full moon, but the side that is illuminated is in the direction of the west, where the sun set not long ago. That's what we see when we're looking at the moon. The bright parts are the parts that are currently illuminated by the sun. In other words, it's daytime. The moon has a day and a night, just like Earth does, and we see different amounts of that over the course of its orbit. As we see different amounts of illumination on the side of the moon that faces the Earth, we call this the phases of the moon. Right now, the current phase of the moon is what's called waxing gibbous. It sounds fancy, but waxing basically means it's getting brighter, and gibbous means it's more than halfway lit up. And what that means is tomorrow night, you'll be able to see a bit more of the moon lit up, and the next night, even more. And then, by December 30th, there will be a full moon. As you look at the moon, you'll see that over its bright surface are some much darker areas. These are called the maria. Maria is the ancient Latin word for seas, because early astronomers speculated that these dark parts of the moon's surface might indeed be exotic seas. You might have heard of some of them, like the Sea of Tranquility or the Sea of Serenity. Apollo 11 landed in the Sea of Tranquility more than 50 years ago, and that's where Neil and Buzz took the first steps on the lunar surface. Nowadays, we know that these darker areas are areas of ancient lava floodplains, where lava emerged from volcanic activity and filled up the basins of craters that were left behind by giant asteroid impacts. And even without binoculars or a telescope, you can see that the moon is absolutely covered in craters of all sizes. These are most easily visible on the edge of the day-night line of the moon, off to the right-hand side. You'll see that that line is not perfectly straight, and that's because sunlight is dipping into craters and shining off mountain peaks, and that's great proof right there that the surface of the moon is not perfectly smooth. The next thing I want you to do is think about how big the moon is in the sky. It's enormous, isn't it? Huge. It must cover a pretty decent percentage of the sky, right? 
Hold out your hand, close one eye, and cover up the moon with the fingernail on your pinky. Could you do it? If not, you might need to use your thumb, which is a little bit bigger, but the lesson here is that the moon is surprisingly small in our sky. Of course, that's just because it's far away, about 380,000 kilometres on average. In real life, it's quite big, about the size of Australia, actually. If you could put Australia into space as far away as the moon is, they would be about the same size, which is certainly pretty cool in my opinion. Now, because the moon is smaller and less massive than the Earth, the force of gravity holding things to the surface of the moon is a lot weaker than the gravity holding us on Earth. In fact, it's only one-sixth as strong as that on Earth. And this means that doing things on the moon is six times easier than doing them on Earth. You can jump six times higher, and you can lift six times as much weight. This is very handy, because I'm sure we've all seen footage of the astronauts walking around on the moon in those big clumsy spacesuits. On Earth, those spacesuits weighed as much as a fully grown man. But in the lower gravity of the moon, however, they only weighed as much as a four-year-old child. One of the ways Sir Isaac thought about the moon moving was to imagine a cannonball fired from the top of a very tall mountain. If you fired it fast enough and far enough, the Earth would curve away underneath it before it could hit the ground, meaning that it would go around the Earth forever. And today, we call that movement an orbit. And without understanding the exact same maths, we could never have sent those astronauts to the moon in the first place. When the astronauts on Apollo 14 got to the moon, they decided to try and reenact this imaginary experiment. But instead of using a cannon, they used a golf club. With lower gravity and no atmosphere, astronaut Alan Shepard hit his golf ball for miles and miles and miles. Not quite into orbit, but much closer to Newton's imaginary experiment than we could ever test on the surface of the Earth. From Newton's cannonball to Shepard's golf ball, the Moon has been teaching us about physics for a very, very long time. That looked like a slice to me, Al. There we go. Miles and miles and miles. That's it for this episode of the Audio Guide to the Galaxy. Thanks for joining us, and we look forward to seeing you again soon. And remember, knowing stuff makes you cool. <laughs>